Shabbat Shalom. So, what I want to try to do with you today is to see, is to study with you how different verses in the Torah can take us to completely different places based on the way we interpret them. Now, in regards to Agadic material, the, the stuff that we make, legends and stories and narratives, all that stuff, this taking a verse to many different places could be fine, even amusing. But the question is, what happens when the verse is talking about law? So how do we interpret a verse that is talking about Jewish law, and we take it to two different places, which could become in, you know, it could tra be transformed into two different universes. You know, kind of like back to the future. It depends on how, you know, you mess with the past, the type of future that you get. The type of, you know, the, the way you interpret the text could give you two different sets of laws or two different insights regarding what are we talking about. So if before, when Sharon was talking uh, to Sawyer, we were saying, or she was saying that we have the big, big uh, principles in the Ten Commandments, but now we get to read all the small print, there will be like a next step when the rabbis take the verses in the small print, and they take those verses somewhere else. So the truth is that today I want to actually focus in one verse in our Parsha, in our Torah portion, which is hard to translate. I put both Hebrew and one English translation just because we need to begin somewhere. Hebrew says, Lo rabim leraot. Very tricky text to translate. So we know to begin with that we shouldn't be following that's fine. The word rabim could mean the majority, could be those with means, so the powerful or the mighty, which is the way the text is being translated here, to do some wrong. Ra'ot from Ra'a, Ra. So you shouldn't go after or follow or do with the mighty or the many to do some harm. And then later on the same verse, eh, that you shouldn't do is Ahari Rabim Leatot. You shouldn't follow the mighty, the majority, the many, who knows, eh, in order to twist. We don't know exactly what. So I want to show you two different ways this text, this verse was taken. The way the Talmud takes it, and then it's picked up by Maimonides, which is the text you have in front of you, says the following. This is not a commentary on the Torah. This is how this verse is being used to justify the way we do law. So pay attention, because I will ask you a few questions. If the members of a court are divided... 
some voting for acquittal and others for conviction, the majority opinion is followed. This is a biblical positive command, as it is written, incline after the many. Aharei rabim leatot. So the text is using, Maimonides is using the last part of our verse to say that, what, what is he saying? Majority rule. Okay? So far, this applies to civil cases and to ritual laws as to what is prohibited and what is permitted, what is unclean and what is clean and the like. So how do we determine what is clean, what is unclean? Majority, uh, for majority vote. But in capital cases, capital cases means death, with death penalty, if there is a division of opinion whether the culprit should suffer death or not, he is acquitted if the majority is for acquittal, but if the majority is for conviction, he is put to death only when those who favor conviction exceed those who favor acquittal by at least two. What are they saying now? In capital punishment, this is different because it's death, and so how the law is being changed? You, you need more than, more than a simple majority. So you need at least two, a difference of two in order to kill someone. Why? Because there's no way back. Okay? Now, the way they justify how the law works in this case, so from where do we learn that you need more people to convict someone with a death penalty? According to a traditional interpretation, this is what the Torah has meant by the warning, you must not follow a majority to do wrong. Okay? This is the beginning of, the, this is the verse that we are talking about. So, you must not follow a majority to do wrong is translated in Jewish law as, if the majority is inclined to do wrong, which means to kill someone, do not follow it unless it consists of a larger majority of at least two judges. As it, is, as it is written, to incline toward a majority that can decide. Your verdict, your verdict of acquittal is reached by the decision of a majority of one, but your verdict of condemnation must be reached by a majority of two. These interpretations are based on tradition. Is our verse in our Torah portion speaking about any of these? It's a stretch. Now, stretches are not a problem for the rabbis. Don't get me wrong. We, we do yoga of the soul, uh, and so we can stretch texts as to you know, make them say something that is not so obvious from the first reading. Okay? But here, the interesting thing is that they are using this text to provide for some sort of safety network for someone who is accused of something with the punishment of capital death. So, if you are going to do that, you cannot uh, convict that person unless you have a real majority. Why? Because you don't follow the, the simple majority, that's how they, they, they twist the verse, for something wrong, which is to kill somebody. Okay? Do you see how they are working? 
Now, I'm bringing this not, not to just teach you how Jewish law will deal with capital punishment, it's not for today, but to show you how rabbis in the Talmud and later on will use verses and they will twist the text because they have some important values running in the way they read the texts. So we, not, we do not read in a vacuum. So when we are reading the Torah, we are reading the Torah from a perspective with some lenses. In this case, the lenses that are being used by the rabbinic sages are pushing them not to condemn someone to the capital uh, punishment if there is not a, a big majority, okay? What we see here is how the values that we carry have a say in how we read the text. Anyhow, anyhow. Now, if you turn the page, you will see how actually other commentators aware of the text of the Torah and of the rabbinic interpretation of the text weren't so comfortable with that reading of the text. So Rashi, the famous commentator in the Middle Ages, says there are Allahic interpretations of this verse given by the sages of Israel, but the wording of the text does not fit in well with them. So what is Rashi saying? You know what, I need to be honest with you. I am pretty much aware of what the rabbis are doing with this text. But this is a stretch that I am a bit uncomfortable with. So he says, I think that if one wishes to explain the verse so that everything should fit in properly, its exegesis must be as follows. If you see wicked men resting judgment, do not say, since they are many, I will incline after them. So what is Rashi saying that the verse is actually trying to imply? So if you see some people trying to rest, to, to, to kind of twist the judgment, and you know that they are wicked folks, don't follow them because they are the majority. Which is interesting. To that, a few centuries after, Rabbeinu Behaye, one of the most important uh, commentators from Spain, before the expulsion, he says, the plain meaning of these words is that even if you see a vast majority of people acting in a forbidden manner, do not make the fact that they constitute constitute the norm, an excuse to follow in their footsteps. What is he saying then? What? Everything is an exegesis problem, which is not a, not, it's not a problem actually. What is the real meaning of the text remains in many cases pretty obscure anyway. So what they do is they struggle with the text and they try to come up with insights that are reflecting their own values. So the rabbis in the Talmud will do uh, this idea of 
We do not convict someone for capital punishment if you don't have a big majority. Probably the text in the Bible is not speaking about that, but the, the rabbis are using this text in order to make sure that we don't put people on the death row just because. Then the commentators of the Bible, knowing what the Talmud has to say, and trying to be mindful of the original intent of the text, which, spoiler alert, you never get anyway. <laughs> they are saying two things, or these two guys are saying two things. The first one, if you see wicked folks twisting the judgment, or twisting you know, a, a, you know, the outcome of, of, a, of a trial, do not follow them because they are many. Okay, don't be fooled by, because statistically, you can have a, a large group of wicked people, and that doesn't make their judgment valid. That's what they are saying. And then the second commentator is even going further. If you see a majority of folks, he's no longer speaking about wicked. Okay? If you see a majority of folks misbehaving, don't think that because they are many, that misbehavior is the right thing to do. Which to me is interesting because it is pointing to two things. One, which is the troubling part, these texts remind us of democracy is not perfect. We are still embracing democracy because nothing is better than that. But the text is saying, not because the majority does X, X is kosher. I'm, you know, either way, forget about which color or which side you lean. This text is saying majority doesn't equal a stamp of kashrut. And why does this commentator saying this? Because the bottom line for him are two. First, do not give, up, give in to peer pressure, because majority usually functions like that. If you see a group of people doing X, you kind of feel like you should do it because you will be part of the group. Okay, and this is important whether you're a teenager or you are an adult or whatever you are. And on the second, you know, the second insight is that do not follow the majority until you use your brain. So do not check the brain at the door. It's not that you don't have to go with the majority because majority sometimes could be doing the right thing. But what the text is saying, do not make the leap of faith of believing that if because the majority does X, that is what is right and that is what you should do. It may be that you want to follow the majority, but not because it is the majority, but because you were thinking and figuring that out. So the important point here to me is to think about what groups do, how many times we are kind of drawn to do that type of thing just because everyone is doing it, and how our tradition is asking us, before you do that, 
Before you cast your vote, do your homework. Use your brain. Try to figure out things. Not that you will get it always right. No. But do not, uh, how say, uh, give away the chance you have to use your brain to see what should be done. That's what a just society is built upon. And if you think about this, all of these rules from Parashat Mishpatim right after the Ten Commandments are all about this idea of how can we build a just society. It's not by following the majority blindly. It's not by checking our brain at the door. It's not by remaining silent when injustice is happening. It is by, you know, stepping up. It is by thinking. It is by talking. It is by speaking up and finding the ways to build the type of society that we think is the right type of society for all of us. All of that coming from only one verse in our Parsha. So the challenge is, go back to the text, find verses, and start thinking about these subjects. Because, again, whether you are a teenager trying to find your way uh, along the lines of peer pressure and all sorts of uh, discovering of yourself, or whether you are an adult very worried about the uh, next steps that this city, state, and nation will take, or whether you are willing to do something good with your life, the first commandment is use your brain and do something about it. With that, I would say Shabbat Shalom.